Welcome to Dixon Jane's podcast number 909. This is not the one after 909. This is 909. Um, it is a Wednesday. I guess it's getting on for noon. And I'm sitting in Bluffers Park on the the most popular bench, like right out on a point. It is under that gorgeous uh, weeping willow tree that I'm often looking at when I'm on the cat side. I'm, in fact, now I could look over where I would normally be sitting, uh, just across this inlet. Uh, anyway, <laughs> if you ever visit me, you'll get the tour. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it is, it's a prime spot. There's a lovely breeze coming off the water. It's a gorgeous day. Oh, God, it feels good. And um, I made up my mind pretty early today. I got to get out and I got to get down to the Bluffers Park. Um, I did a little side trip. I was looking for what's a breakfast deal I can get, you know, uh, to take out. And couldn't find anything decent on uh, McDonald's or Tim Hortons that, you know, was within my range. But um, Burger King had two can dine for six ninety nine. And it was two coffees, two um, little the bags of the tater tots, which are delicious, and uh, two croissants with uh, egg and uh, sausage or bacon. So I went for that, and then realized, well, you know, it's almost eight dollars, seven ninety nine with tax. So it's not a great deal, but yeah, I mean, for all I got, sure, it's fine. Yeah, and uh, so I had to double back and drop off the extra tater tots and croissant for my son. When I opened the coffee, I found the second cup was only half full. Not like not even half full. And I guess they just run out of the pot and she didn't she was in a hurry, she didn't have time to make a new one. Um it's kinda sad. It's a drive through. Well, it's eat in and drive through, but they're always understaffed and the last two times I've gone you order and then they ask you if you can just park out back and she'll bring it out to you. You know, you can't wait in the line because they're not ready. And it seems that this one person who's taking the order and taking the money is also preparing the food and carrying it out to your car, which is sad. And she apologized for being so taking so long. It was a long time. Uh, that was before I hadn't realized the coffee was only half full. And I said, oh, I'm just sorry you don't have more help. She said, no, it's okay. Um, but, God, that's that's a rough job. And she's, she was calmer than I was, so I guess it's not a problem for her. It is what it is. Um, anyway, God, got all that out of the way. What a what a waste of uh, your time and mine, other than it's what got me here. I just knew, come down to Bluffers. I'm probably going to have a toke. I, if I'm, I think I'm going to be here for a while. So I'm starting now while I, I'm not high so that there'll be some coherence, but I guess <laughs> it may not make a whole lot of difference one way or the other. 
they've done a beautiful job of with the stonework here shoring up the uh, the walls it's uh, Toronto has got nice parks and we have a, a proper you know civil service and municipal government that that does take care of things overall you know regular garbage pickup and uh, all the things you pay for with your taxes but you're you're grateful to have and it's sad when you see so many other countries who just have nothing like this in terms of infrastructure and uh, corrupt governments and you know greedy leaders who pocket all the money and stick it in offshore accounts anyway let's not go there there's just so much to be depressed about uh, in the news um so we'll we'll skip that i've got a book with me i've got three books with me but i only brought one down i'm it fits perfectly in my little nigerian bag i've been raving about since uh mmpr it's just the perfect bag for carrying stuff in i love it um this book is was written in 1953 and here it's been republished in paperback 1967 the copy i got uh, Man's Search for Himself by the author of Love and Will, Rollo May. Now that's a name, I bet you, I'm willing to bet not a single listener to this podcast has ever heard of Rollo May. Now he was, this was a big name in the 60s, along with Eric Fromm, and uh, of course, you know, I mean a lot of people know the works of, um, he was the guy who did the Pyramid of uh, Your Needs and Wants and so on, um, you know who I mean. I've talked about it many times on the show. The, uh, Maslow's hierarchy. Uh, so everybody knows Maslow, and uh, everybody's heard of Freud. But a few of these people who were popular in the '60s, and and I'm reading a book that's now almost 70 years old, and there's gold in it, and it's talking about the modern age and and the alienation of man, you know, cut off from his true feelings and all the stuff. That's still current today, and I wonder, well, maybe it's just, it resonates with me because I am of this age, and I remember, I mean, reading this book and books like it when I was in university, so maybe I'm just hearkening back to a uh, a time when people used words like hearken. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, but no, it resonates. It, it's very, very good stuff here. Just how being how we are cut off from our true emotions, and and uh, the, the whole thing is about how we can find a center of strength within ourselves to face and conquer the insecurities of this troubled age. Well, this is a troubled age, believe me, boys and girls. Um, I think it's it's you know it's gone full circle. It's the time has come again. Uh, Man's Search for Himself is a major book which examines neuroses afflicting modern men and women in the age of anxiety. Uh, and I guess that's post-war. You know, when you read this, 53, well, wait a minute, you know, Kerouac's On the Road wasn't published till 57. So he's talking about the post-war trauma uh, of, you know, I guess maybe the beats. I mean, this, I can't... The Beats would have found their own way. We'll, we'll get high, we'll get drunk, we'll recite poetry, we'll listen to jazz, we'll have wild parties. Um, but he's talking about, well, what about the rest of the population? How, how are you going to regain your sense of self? Um, it is a forthright 
and highly imaginative study of the contemporary predicament, contemporary predicament, by one of the most brilliant psychologists practicing today. And there's where I go and say, who's heard of Rollo May? Uh, anyway, he was a practicing psychotherapist in New York. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm getting something out of it. And uh, I, I, the other books are The Wisdom of Insecurity, which fits so well. The reason I have this, again, I needed a book to read. I'd finished. I've done with the war. And I thought, well, I should go back. If I'm going to go to the Kerouac festivities in Lowell in July, I mean in um, October, I, sh- I should refresh something. So I went through all the books. And went, no, there's, there's really none I want to read. But on the shelf below is full of... Uh, uh, Alan Watts and Zen philosophy. And, and, and again, I guess what I'm seeing here, not so indirectly, I've got a really fucking amazing library in my basement. Unknown caller. Should I take it? No. I'm going to, um, I'm going to let it, um, if they want me, they'll leave a message. So, Anyway, where were we? Oh, that library. So I was able to go through, and okay, well, here's the uh, here's the books by Alan Watts, and then I keep going along. But oh, I got a couple of other gems here. One of which is the book I'm holding in my hand now, and this is the library that I'm still trying to think about. You know, what will I what will I do with it? What will I do with it? You know. I think I'll end there. I think I'll go. I'll have my talk and maybe take a walk and do something else. And I'll get back to you and uh, see where see where we get to today. Um, Scarborough dude, signing off from uh, this wonderful, wonderful vantage point here in Bluffers Park. By God, it's fine. Bye for now. Yeah, it is Thursday, and I am in Thompson Park. And, uh, by golly, by gee, time to catch up a little. Uh, yeah, so, I never turned on the recorder again, uh, from, uh, Bluffers Park, because I had a toke, and I devoted the day to just being in the moment, being in the present. And any time I felt the slightest urge to, oh, I should tell somebody about this or that, you know, meaning pick up the recorder and tell you, I resisted. And I'm so glad I did. (laughs) I stayed in that park high. Oh, my goodness, a wonderful high. Uh, This must have been some of the weed my son gave me. Uh, Just a delightful time with the earbuds in listening to the old backlog of um, music I have on uh, uh, an iPhone 5. It's the real stuff. A lot of ween that just pops up, but a lot of just great stuff. And by God, when you're just listening and you're hearing favorite songs, it's just such a wonderful feeling. And the whole time, it was a beautiful day I'm in the park. And I did do uh, the long walk, but I stopped. 
at least a dozen times on different benches, different viewpoints, and just sat there until it was time to move. And it wasn't, it was always, are you ready to move now? No, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to stare out at this vantage point just a little longer. This lasted until 4 o'clock. So I was high by noon, high until, well, right up until 4 o'clock when my batteries finally died on the iPhone. And I, by then I realized, okay, maybe now is a good time to uh, think about heading home. I haven't done that for a long time. This was like the old days when you got high and you just lived the day. You just you just experienced it for what it was. You weren't thinking about what do I have to do. Uh, you know, there, there was nothing else to be done other than enjoy the moments, the views, the scenery, the breeze, the sunshine. Um, there was a one point where a lady sat, a, a woman, an older woman, probably in her 60s, I guess, on a bench nearby, and I thought, I, I could tell by looking, no, you do not want to engage that person in, in conversation. And the first thing she did is she got up and headed my way, and already my warning bells are flashing. No, no, the lights are flashing, the bells are ringing, okay? <laughs> when she said, all this garbage I hate, I just, it's disgusting, it's just disgusting, there's just so much garbage. And I thought, no, I'm I'm here enjoying the day. Uh, and I think my answer was, yeah, well, that's why I'm facing out to the water. I don't see any of that. And then she went on, oh, yeah, yeah, it's nice. I sold my, my uh, house, I had a house right on the property. And this woman, you could tell, she, she did not sell a house. Uh, this was oh my god what a what a false cover i sold my house now's the time to sell right you know I mean, the prices are good you know so i sold my house and i i've got a i got a condo now and 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 oh my god and something else she said that was negative and i just said oh i'm just looking for the bright things in life you know that's all i'm going to focus on today something you know equally drippy but it was just enough to shut her the fuck up and she left. I mean, there was, there was she was not going to make any inroads with me. And this is a woman who had an agenda. Ooh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> aside from that little blip, the day was just full of just harmony and joy. Um, it, it just it was just a good and old fashioned day. Hey, it's nice to get high once in a while. I did a lot of thinking. I thought about my friend Glenn, who, if you don't know that name by now, uh, is the uh, friend who died this uh, you know recently and I just thought about the, the the whole idea of death and my my own death coming and when I met Brian for coffee on Tuesday he said I'm thinking a lot about breath these days death these days and uh, it's something we do at our age as our friends die I mean you can't help but be aware of that uh, that um, reality that's moving in on us but uh, anyway, there's a person who has gone by me. Now, I'm sitting on a bench uh, around, you know, on the perimeter of the park. This person has gone by me at least ten times. It's a long walk around this park. And I've seen this person before in this same park. And he's talking out loud as if, you know, that sometimes people get an iPhone or on a phone 
and they talk louder than necessary as if the person on the other end can't hear them and they're really holding their conversation full volume. Well, this guy's doing that, except there's nobody, there's no phone, there's nobody, he's just talking. And it's it's really annoying, it's just aggravating. Oh, shut the fuck up, you know. Um, but he doesn't, and every time he comes by, I, I'm interrupted as I am now. But, again, what a sad fucking story. Like, that's a person who can't help it, because... You know, just he—he's all he can do is walk in circles around this park and talk out loud. Well, what am I doing? Sitting on a bench talking out loud? Am I any better? No. Okay. All right. Hey, hey, back off, back off. Give me a break. Hey, quit judging me. Um. Anyway, uh, the reason I came here today was I felt I wanted to. I was so excited about these books I've been talking about. That I said, what you're going to do is you're going to come to Buffers Park, I mean Thompson Park, and you're going to find passages that you're going to email to all the man people in the men's group who are meeting Tuesday in person, but just as, you know, food for thought, basically. And I've done that before. Share something. Do something, you know, that, that see what somebody else picks up on it. And they often they do. People do look for me for those kind of things, and I'm happy to oblige. Um... But I haven't found any. I, I went through a lot of the Alan Watts, the Wisdom of Insecurity. And uh, all I got was, well, something from the beginning. I'll read it to you now. If living is to end in pain, incompleteness, and nothingness, it seems a cruel and futile experience for beings who are born to reason, hope, create, and love. In other words, it was, you know, the death of God. Um, when you lose that, and he, he's talk, he's writing 1951 about this age of insecurity we're living in. Again, back to those dates, right, 70 years ago. Um, I followed that a little, a little later on. Nuclear physics and relativity have done away with the old materialism. That's the convenient, you know, Christian religion's belief in God, standards, morality. Um... But they now give us a view of the universe in which there is even less room for ideas of any absolute purpose or design. And there's your age of anxiety. If you have no God to fall back on, what have you got? Of course, he has lots of answers in his belief in uh, living in the now. A lot of the book is about the struggle between me and I, um, which, well... You understand, I understand. We'll, we'll, we'll visit that another time. I guess what I'll do now is um, shut this sucker down and get back to um, the other one by a Rollo May. <sighs> Sigh. It is a beautiful day. I'm enjoying being the outdoors. I am, you know, consciously trying to continually bring myself back into the present moment and not what I have to do, what should I have done, what's a better way of doing this. But that's part of life too. We, we, we've, we've created these complex lives for ourselves and we've had to if we want to have any degree of success, if we want food and a roof over our heads, you know, and on top of that, love and family, you, you got to play the game. you got to get in there. But there are also times when you want to step beyond 
the normal, step beyond the mundane, step beyond beyond the day-to-day living and just experience this ever-present now and just, you know, to, to sort of turn that dial, turn it up. And I guess that's what I can do sometimes when I get high. And um, it made me feel yesterday, reminded me, hey, you know, if you're, uh, any of your ailment, ailments get worse, try and get on a study group for, uh, you know, microdosing LSD or psilocybin or whatever and uh, see where that gets you to because I still want to do that. All right. I'm, I'm, um, these are just short clips. Th- Saturday night's a big night. We're going out. Uh, my friend Alvin from Kingston is staying with us. I'm going to meet John and Lisa at Grossman's. Uh, on Spadina to hear, um, God, what is the name of them? I just just had it. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Um, Caution Jam. Caution Jam. Did I did I not mention them? Band I found 15 years ago on the Danforth. Anyway, that's what's coming up. So, uh, Scarborough Dude signing off right now from Thompson Park, and uh, I'll be back with more. You can be sure of that. Uh, meanwhile, this big idea that I said I really worked on more yesterday, while high, is still there. It hasn't died yet. You know, my big ideas usually get really inflated. They get really big, and then, like a puff of smoke, they just disappear, or like a balloon just suddenly just pops, and oop. That one's gone. Well, I've got I've got one. It's a project. It's a huge project that would require discipline on my part. And there's the catch, right? Discipline on my part. Hmm. Like planning and preparation. Now, I could do that. I mean, I got through university, all right, and other courses. I can do that kind of thing. But do I have the personal motivation without being driven by grades or somebody telling me? Can I tell myself what I have to do? and follow through on it. That's the trick. You know, can I really motivate myself to do what I think right now is a great idea? Stay tuned and you'll uh, you'll hear more about it. Oh my God, here comes that guy again. Jesus Christ, how could he do it again? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Bye for now. Ding dong. I'm holding in my hand uh, something called the Canadian Magazine. This is from the Gazette, which was a Montreal newspaper we used to have delivered every morning. And this was dated December 13th, 1969. And basically, it's a special issue of the 60s. And it goes year by year with little things that appeared in the paper. Uh, most of the focus is Canadian content, which is kind of nice for a change. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit out from the year 1964, which uh, I find very interesting. So it begins. Um, Acid, grass, and hippies. That's the byline. Tune in, turn on, drop out said Dr. Timothy Leary, and a growing band of young people who were coming to be known as hippies answered his call, especially in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco, where a colony of dropouts spent their days taking trips with a hallucinatory drug 
LSD, and smoking marijuana. The teenage drug cult had begun, abetted by the admission from Beatles John Lennon and George Harrison, that they too had been users. Next paragraph. On the tube, comma, however, oh, sorry, I'm not dictating. On the tube, however, people were watching such commercial fare as Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Jack Parr, The Littlest Hobo, and Don Messer. Only Canadians will know Don Messer. And on Sunday nights, there was a CBC public affairs show unlike any that had gone before it, with the intriguing title, This Hour Has Seven Days. Next paragraph, Beatlemania. Ed Sullivan decided it was time the four lads from Liverpool appeared on his show, and 3,000 screaming fans greeted the Beatles at New York's Kennedy International Airport. The same hysteria awaited them at their concerts across the U.S. and in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. Reporters liked their air of knowing innocence, the way the Beatles sat around in their underwear playing poker, referring to their fans as the Screamies, and said they were in it for the money. The money came rolling in. A subsidiary called Setlib Limited, Beatles spelled backwards, that year peddled $18 million worth of Beatle wigs, stovepipe pants, turtleneck, sweaters, dolls, t-shirts, hats, comic books, and egg cups. Next paragraph. Marshall McLuhan was the first to comprehend the significance of the adulation heaped on the Beatles. Asked to speak up at the Progressive Conservative Party Thinkers Conference in Fredericton, New Brunswick, the Toronto communications expert said, Nobody would expect me to address a group of politically thoughtful people without referring to the Beatles. Why? Because political parties must now begin to think earnestly about their responsibilities to teenagers, not just policies and legislation, but the thoughtful creation of political imagery able to involve the loyalty of the young. Are you suggesting that Mr. Diefenbaker get a beetle hairdo? asked political scientist Eugene Forsey. At a critical time in his career, McLuhan said seriously, Abraham Lincoln was advised to grow a beard, and he won. Moving on, Diefenbaker refused to heed the advice. I don't need a beetle haircut. What with the cartoonists? With what the cartoonists do to my hair, I need no assistance. Next paragraph. Liz and Dick outbeetled Elizabeth Taylor Hilton Wilding Todd Fisher, 32, with four children, and Richard Burton, 38, father of two children, were ignored by a mob of Beatle fans at Los Angeles Airport. However, Taylor and Burton captured the headlines again when they got married in Montreal. And at Toronto's O'Keeffe Centre, where Burton was playing the lead role in a modern dress version of Hamlet, the actor invariably got a big laugh when he uttered the line, I say there will be no more marriages. Next paragraph. Mods and Rockers. In London town, where the Beatles had already been enshrined in wax at Madame Tussauds, 
Carnaby Street boutiques began to swing with teenagers shopping for Beatles-style outfits. The mods, comprised mainly of middle-class office workers and shop clerks, rode little scooters and attired themselves in crimson velvet suits, suede ties, pointed winkle-picker shoes, and pastel shirts. They preened in front of their birds, girls, who wore peekaboo dresses with new areas of nudity displayed under fishnet and pantyhose that was soon to put the girdle in the garbage can. The rockers, mostly lower-class factory workers, resented the sissified male fashions and patterned themselves after the old virile Marlon Brando of the Wild Ones. They rode rockers, motorcycles, dressed in black leather jackets and crushed black cycling caps, and tried to terrorize the rival gangs of mods, gunning their bikes at up to a hundred miles per hour. But the mods retaliated and beat them handily with cricket bats, golf clubs, and leather belts. Oh my God. Beach parties became the vogue among high school students liberated from the old taboos in the new permissive society. Their hijinks had little in common with the innocent romps of Annette Funicello in the beach party films, Muscle Beach Party, Pajama Party, Beach Blanket Bingo, Bikini Beach, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, and The Girl in the Glass Bikini. Bombed on beer and hyped on goofballs, the teenagers went on violent and promiscuous orgies. At Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, that summer, fire hoses, tear gas, and police dogs couldn't stop them. At Grand Bend, Ontario, police had to read the riot act to disperse a mob of 500. And on one holiday weekend alone, lead 77 charges. 59 liquor offenses, 13 criminal offenses, and 5 traffic violations. The kids continued to sleep together. Six could rent a two-bedroom cabin at $90 for a weekend at Grand Bend and to flaunt on their sweatshirts the new slogan of their sexual revolt, Stamp Out Virginity. Moving on. The topless fashion designer Rudy Gernreich was surprised when women began ordering the topless bathing suits he created. His monokinis, or simply innies, consisted of a pair of high-waisted trunks with two thin shoulder straps. The straps, asked a Frenchman, what purpose do they serve? In Hamilton, a 25-year-old owner of the beauty salon, Bridget Carley, attracted mobs when she wore a topless swimsuit in her shop window. In Toronto, the first topless dresses, they had transparent bodices, went on sale at Chandler's on Bloor Street, with a live model wearing one for the benefit of crowds outside. After selling 1,900 of them, store manager Leonard Zelsman was sold on the nude look that he began producing transparent cocktail dresses that included flesh-colored undies. At last paragraph for this page, Google Girls. Thanks to the pounding rhythms of the Beatles, dancing too became more primitive. 
go-go dancers, often topless, became the big attraction in nightclubs. The first one was Carol Doda, who exhibited her silicon-inflated bosom at a North Beach club in San Francisco. She was called the put-together girl because customers could buy a jigsaw puzzle and piece her together. Slightly more inhibited, non-professionals frequented discotheques, performing wild, tribalistic dances like the Watusi, the Frug, and the Swim to frantic recorded, uh, frenetic recorded music. I'll stop there, but I, that was a little entertainment from the magazine I'm hoping to sell. My God, it continues for another full page. Um, I see Sean Connery, Elephant Jokes. Anyway, this is... Uh, and I'm opened up to a page that shows the Kodak Carousel um, slideshow. So anybody who's familiar with Mad Men will connect with this uh, right here. It's quite wonderful. So that is a magazine, and this is part of a new project I hope to be launching in the fall, whereby I am trying to sell the contents of my uh, library bar. That would be the magazines, the LPs, uh, the books, uh, the treasures that line the walls, you know, all kinds of things. So uh, stay tuned, and uh, if this idea doesn't die, um, (laughs) there'll be a lot more coming your way. Scarber Dude signing out from his deck on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, this evening I'm heading in to uh, see a band at Grossman's with uh, the usual bunch of friends. Looking forward to an outing. Bye for now. Damn, first thing I thought of when... Uh, I rang that bell was Perna. It was a ring for Perna. Perna was uh, put to rest, I guess would be one way of putting it. Um, I guess today or yesterday, well, would have been at least yesterday. It is now 10 to 2 in the morning. It'll be Sunday, August 28th, 10 to 2 a.m. I'm sitting in my car in the Eglinton Go parking lot. And got to make my way home, but I'm not quite ready. I've got to get my car into the garage and then Alvin's car off the street and into the driveway wedged between the road trek and uh, Nelka's Mazda. So that'll be tricky. Well, anyway, we'll give it a few minutes. I just had three pints. But, uh, you know, some some gummy and uh, a few tokes. So, yeah. I took the most ridiculous route home. Sorry, I, I haven't done properly with Perna. If, if uh, Sheen was listening, he'd be annoyed. Perna was just an incredibly beautiful cat and, uh, and uh, an affectionate cat, as Sheen put it. You just, you'd just you pat her and your, the fur would come out and she'd just drool on you. She was just she just wanted love and that's all she wanted. But I, when I thought about her on the train, I, well, Perna was love. I mean, she was a cat that just, her message was love. And I think that's that's when I, I, I wrote down, I think cats have a lot to uh, to teach us. And we've got a lot to learn from cats, let me put it that way. Um, and that cat was just showing, hey, this is love, gentleness, kindness, tenderness. Anyway, we'll leave Perna aside for now. Paid our respects. Um, yeah, by God, it was a good night. 
at Grossman's, as planned. Met John at the uh, Spadina subway station and uh, got off at college and then walked down together. It's actually at uh, Cecil and Spadina. That'd be Grossman's, and it had not changed since the last time I was in there, and the last time I was in there was at least 15 years ago, I'm sure. Maybe 10. No, I'm sure it's more than that. Anyway, I used to go there back in the, uh, around 75 when I lived here. Liked it. Always liked it. But the energy, the band was Caution Jam, and that's why I went, because I had heard them play on the Danforth and smoked up with the band and liked these guys and went today, of course, a bunch of old guys playing because it would be at least 15 years ago. Not old, younger than me. But God damn, were they ever good. I mean, they were tight. They were excellent. Absolutely excellent. John will vouch for me. Lisa, too. She, they were the only two. Um, Brian didn't make it, couldn't make it. Connie had to leave early in the morning. She didn't show up. Well, she wasn't expected to. Uh, anyway, we got up there early and commandeered the best possible table. The waitress uh, first had to clean up all the glass on the floor behind the table. And once she got all that cleaned up, we uh, we said, all right, this is ours for the night. And it was a perfect table. Uh, the only setback for me was uh, deciding I really wanted to take the College Street subway. This is going to be a nice ride. And really what I should have done is taken the Queen Street subway with Lisa, who eventually did that, or just gone up to the, I mean streetcar, not subway streetcar, uh, or done what John did, take the Spadina subway up and get on the uh, get on the subway and ride all the way to Kennedy. That would have been the fastest. I would have been home an hour earlier. I waited at least half an hour for that streetcar, and I was determined. And then when I got on, I realized... My picture in my mind was, oh, it's going to be nice. You're going to see, you know, nice setting sun and the lights, you know. Hadn't fully processed. No, no, it's going to be dark. It's going to be midnight, 1230, 1 o'clock when you're on that damn streetcar. You're not going to see anything except the lights of, you know, buildings when there's nobody there now. Uh, so, uh, you know, but it gave me time to reflect a little. And I did that. I did that. Hey, Ken, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Anyway, I was just glad to be out. And then when I got on the, uh, I finally got on my uh, 116 at Kennedy, guy sort of called out to me, I guess. He was sitting in the, the very front seat right behind the driver. And I said, you talk, and he, you know, hey, take a seat or something like that. Because I'm on with my king. And I said, you talking to me? And, and uh, he said, no, my buddy over there. And I realized, oh, he's joking. Um we engaged in conversation. I'm glad he was heavily tattooed, uh, was not happy about the Hindus taking over the trucking business, which came out and, and had five rings on his fists, on his fingers, on his fist, which if you were hit by any one of those rings, never mind all five, because he pointed out that one there, the, uh, I think it was the grizzly bear. That's the one that really hurts, you know, uh, anyway, nice guy. Uh, he was a steeplejack. This is what this is our conversation. You know what steeplejack is? I said I knew, but I've forgotten. We do high heights. I'm, uh, you know, I'm native. We, I, I, I do these things. I'm, I'm a licensed steeplejack. And uh, and then that's when I got into the, uh, you know, next story. Used to be a truck driver, till the Hindus ruined it. 
And then, according to him, according to him, this is not my view of things. And then, before that, uh, you know, talking about, yeah, I wouldn't want to get hit with your rings. I mentioned that to him. I wouldn't want to get hit by that. You know, I was a boxer. Oh, you're a boxer too, eh? I said, you got a pretty good nose for a boxer. <laughs> like, I, I was going tit for tat with this guy. I'm going tit for tat. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I've never been hit. So anyway, it, it was interesting. It, it was a it was a real engagement. And he, meanwhile, of course, he's you know the cigarette smell is very heavy, and he's got a beer, a can of beer in his hand. So uh, we know where this is going. Anyway, he was getting off at the same stop. I didn't let him know I was getting off at the same stop. Apparently, he's here to meet his girlfriend and go somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, this is yours truly, your host, the one and only, the lovable, the lovable, the dear lovable Scarborough dude. I need to say that sometimes because I think a lot of people forget or haven't seen me for a while and, you know, need reminding. I am a sweetheart. Oh, ho, ho, you bet your booty. And um, I'm going to be I'm going to be seeing a lot more things like that in the future. So stay tuned. Stay tuned because something's coming up. I'm telling you, something's coming up. And it's getting refined every single day. I've been making notes so I, you know, I'll remember what the hell I decided. Oh, yeah, that's a better idea. Letter at the end, yeah. Anyway, i got to get myself home. i got to get this car in. I know I'm going to wake people up when I get home. It's, it's 1.57 now. Time to get home. But, uh, you know, take care of yourselves, one and all. And, uh, yeah. What was that like? Remember me? I'm the one. Who loves you? Yeah. Bye for now. Ding dong. Yeah. Good afternoon. It is Sunday afternoon. Around 5 o'clock and I'm sitting on my deck. I've been spending more time on the deck now that it's stained and I can look at it. Uh, Nice recliner chairs. God damn, it's nice here. Where I live, I'm telling you boys and girls, I am so fortunate. We are so fortunate. It's quiet. I mean, you'll hear a lawnmower in the distance. But it's just trees around us, in a park behind us, in a ravine across from us. It's fabulous. Um, and so I realized I don't have to go to Thompson Park, Bluffers Park every day, which, you know, as you hear on this podcast, I so often do. This time when it's nice, just step outside the... Uh, porch door and uh, sit on the deck. So that's where we are now. It's Sunday and now goes out shopping. She needed a new iron. I saw her with a set of tools and an old iron she's had for a long time trying to take it apart to fix where um, a wire had come off. And it's very unfortunate because in the old days you could take it to a local handyman. You know, didn't even have to be full-fledged electrician. A handyman could replace the wire and you'd have a perfectly well-working iron. But this is a design you couldn't even get at the screws to take it apart. That handyman might have the tools, but she said, it's, you know, you can buy a new one for the cost it would have, you know, for the cost of getting this repaired. And it's an unfortunate state of our world, but that is where we're at. Listen, before I forget, at the end of this podcast, you're going to hear some podcasting credits. And I put that on because it's so often we hear, you know, who has the most hits? This We, the amateurs who just do podcasting for fun as a hobby, you know, without license or anything else, 
there are others who, of course, want to make a living at this and want it to be radio, want it to sound incredible, and they have to get a whole team of professionals in to do it. And it, it's just ridiculous. And, of course, if you're going to have anything on iTunes, you know, that reaches the top of podcasts, it's going to be these ones with all the the bells and whistles and a huge staff to... Uh, to make it happen, and I think it's comical. This, this, what you're listening to is a one-man shop. But I'm leaving that in just to show what uh, what others are doing, and uh, maybe to you know to explain why I have so few listeners because uh, I don't build a podcast that uh, I could put out there and sell. All right, leave that. Um, I've been referring to this big project. I've got this idea, and of course, you know, if you've listened to me for long enough, that I get all hepped up on ideas. I was describing it to Alvin. I said, it's like I'm holding this ball of some kind of energy, a fusion energy or something in my hand, and I'm feeding off it, and, and I get so excited about the possibilities. It's it's the way my mind works. It's, a, I guess, a a product of ADHD of, of just you get that energy and you get a rush on it and you just burn, 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 burn. And then it kind of fades away. The fun is gone. It's not exciting anymore. It's like, remember when I was on that kick for everything Robert service and it'll be something else and something else. And then it just, you're done. It dies. Well, that makes me very hesitant to introduce new ideas because is a little bit of a sense of embarrassment that, yeah, no, at the time I was serious. It's just that now it doesn't interest me anymore. That That's what, that's the pattern, right? So I am going to share with you now in these remaining 10 minutes what my new project is that I'm so excited about. Uh, and telling you that simply with the with the added message that there's a good chance this would die before the first one even comes out. But here it is. Uh, it, it's a, a YouTube channel, my own Dixon Jane's YouTube channel. And you would see me in the opening reading something like this. Now, this is just the first draft, but it's to, uh, it's, I was thinking I've got to, I can't just ad lib. I've got to actually have a purpose here. Uh, and of course, I've already thrown out that idea. But anyway, going back to, Yesterday or the day before, here is what we've got. Welcome to episode one of Filling in the Gaps. I am your host and storyteller, Ken. I, I wouldn't read it like that. I'd read it, you know, I'd try me a little more natural. Um, uh, known also to some of you is in the podcasting community at Scarborough, dude. Uh, like my Dixon Jane's podcast, this show will be entirely self-serving. Uh, but I'm hoping... If I stick to the guidelines I've set out for myself, that many of you will find it entertaining enough to keep coming back for more. Okay. Anyone who listened to my recent podcast will know that I'm feeling very burdened by all the possessions I've collected over my lifetime. They mean a lot to me, but I can't expect them to be of much value to my family after I'm gone. The thought of my precious books, letters, and souvenirs from Nigeria and other places and uh, being left out on the curbside for free pickup or dropped off at a recycle shop upsets me greatly. And by that, I'm thinking about special 
hard to find books, for example. Okay. Of course, it won't make any difference to me when I'm dead, but it concerns me now. And that's why I came up with the idea of sharing some of these treasures with you. My hope is that I will attract enough viewers who may be interested in perhaps buying some of the items I will showcase here. Of course, I could just offer everything up for free, but I think the items are more likely to go to a good home if the new owner actually has to pay for it. I'll be showcasing books, records, magazines, and items in my bar that to me have a story behind them. I will also be sharing some letters as a way of filling in the gaps, which was going to be the name of my next book, if I got that. I've decided this video would be uh, another way of doing the book instead of the book. This is going to be a sort of a, a multi, um, what do you call it, multifaceted uh, video with uh, with lots of stuff. By the way, I've I've um, mentioned things there. I think I really should throw in hats as well, some clothing. I've got a great hat collection that uh, I'd want to sell as well. Yeah, yeah, like a Dixon Jane's hat. Those are rare. So, let's see. All right, so that's all I got. That's a, That was the introduction. That's all I got so far on um, FITG filling in the gaps, the gaps of my life. Now, it's all built on the premise that anybody would actually want any of these things. Now, I know, you know, some of you, that I did a few videos. I showed off my spoon that I got. At Honest Ed's for twenty-five cents uh, back in nineteen seventy-six, I guess, and um, said it was worth twenty-five dollars. Not that I expect anybody to use it as a spoon, but as a work of art to be mounted on a plaque. It's a beautiful. It's it's just a priceless. But I still use that every time I go camping, so that's not the best example. Um, I've been posting things on Twitter. Uh, like a uh, a magazine from December 15th, uh, 1969, that came with a Gazette, uh, Montreal Gazette paper, and it is fabulous. Just news items, uh, small print pages full of what happened in each of the years of the 60s. And it's just incredible. And much of it Canadian-focused, I may have mentioned that, and that, like that's a collector's item. Uh, somebody, in particular a Canadian, would the joy in that. I gave it to Alvin. Alvin said, "This is just amazing." I didn't know there was a plane crash in Saint Therese, you know, flying between Montreal and Toronto, and this huge hundred people plus killed. I didn't know about that, and uh, it just all these other things happening in history and pop culture. So anyway, put that aside because you'll be seeing that. Um. A Wired magazine, which is the one that talks about, uh, um, you know, the podfather and just the beginning of podcasting, how to do it even. And that's just a collector. And that's what got me started. When I read it about it, I thought, I could do this. Like, for me, that has value. But I think there's somebody else out there. I think even Tom Merritt showed a little interest uh, or curiosity. Certainly Shane out, out in Vancouver has. Um but there's, there's going to be a ton of stuff. And so the idea was to, for me to make a fun video. Okay, now I'm back in the, you know, no script here. I just wanted to have fun, but actually giving a real story to things. And then maybe even putting a price starting bids. And the idea would be the more listeners or viewers there are, um, 
the better it would be for everybody because people would put in, you know, I have an interest. And I'd keep track. I'd have a spreadsheet. I'd keep track of everybody who actually emails me at dixonjanes at gmail.com and said, hey, that uh, copy of The Greening of America that you were reading, I'd, I'd kind of like that, you know. Would five bucks be enough, you know, and there you go, stuff like that, you know. I got jail notes by Timothy Leary. I've got just so many other things that are very hard to find books. So, But that aside, others with uh, I'm wearing right now, I showed it to Lisa last night, my Owasco RV Center hat. Starting to look a little grungy the way a hat should look grungy if it's like a working guy's hat. And this is a fashion piece. This is very, very cool. Now, you could go to Owasco and buy one for... 20 bucks, whatever. This one has a story behind it because I got it free and I realized it was the perfect hat to wear last night uh, because I insisted. I had work done and I saw somebody else wearing one. I said, hey, what do you have to do to get one of those hats around here? And this guy went into the back room and came back with it and I scored. And it reminds you of when my father had aluminum siding or whatever put on the house or something done. No, new windows, I guess. He was determined to get something back from the sales guy, and it was just, I think, some drinking shot glasses or something. But he was, hey, you better have something for me, buddy, you know. You're getting a sales commission on this. What do you got for me? Um, And I felt the same way about, hey, I've paid you guys enough. At least I'm going to get a bloody free hat out of it. So I'm wearing it right now as I talk. I love it. I think it's very cool. And it belonged to the Scarborough. But here's the catch. Here's the catch, boys and girls. All of this, it's only going to work if people buy into the fact, the fact, I'm saying, the idea, I should say, that Scarborough Dude is somebody important, that I am a somebody. And I've been, tr- I've been trying to pitch this lately, that I am a person that is of some, I don't know what to say, some value, some significance, some... I don't quite know what it is that I'm, I'm, you know, worthiness, I guess, that I'm worthy of people saying, yeah, I, I remember Ken. Yeah, I'd like to have his hat. Yeah, I'd like to have his Dixon Jane's hat. That'd be cool. And when there's a podcast gathering, and this this is assuming the viewers are younger than me, aren't going to be, you know, dying when I'm dying because nobody who's dying is going to want to get a hat. Now, there's another point right there, and I want to put this in, and this sounds a little... It's difficult to phrase. It would be easier for me to make this sales pitch if I could announce that I've got cancer and I've only got a year left to live, you know, or something like that. Or, or like um, the guy whose T-shirt I bought um, has uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and was, you know, his days were numbered and he went on, became it was an atheist and, and now is going around doing shows, you know, earning people, getting people's attention because, hey... I can prove to you I'm not going to be around all that much longer. No, I can't do that. I might be around longer than some of you listening. Uh, so I, I'm not going to do that. That boy, boy, oh boy, you know, hey, that would be a low. That would be sneaky if I was to get on and just say, hey, I'm just, uh, you know, do it really serious. No, you know where I'm, you know where I'm not going to go. No, we're not going to do that. It's not a fake I'm dying thing, okay? No, it's me. Who knows when I'm going to go, but the day will come. And I would like to think that some of you out there who know me, who've invested time, who've shared time with me, would like to have something to remember me by. 
And that's what this show is all about. That's the idea that I'm going to go on. I'm going to have fun. It'll be fun to watch. It's going to be entertaining. I'll have a story. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of the Hiram L. Piper Brakeman's Lantern, and I've got the story for that. Somebody, I guarantee, would want that Brakeman's Lantern. It's the real thing. This is what was used by the, by the, the railway. Right? It's, I, I got this straight from the CN shops. Uh, and I don't mean the stores where you go in and buy things. I mean the shops <laughs> in the uh, Point St. Charles Yards. Um, and there's any number of things. My hash pipe, well, gosh. I don't know. Actually, people, no. And that, and plus, I mean, that is a real heirloom. Maybe my sons would want that. Uh, well, probably not either. But <laughs> and, and this is the other deal. Okay, good. That reminds me of one more thing. Anything that I put up here, my sons have the right of first refusal. So that's got to be it right there. Like if my son in Vancouver, Kenji, says, Well, Dad, I really want that Brakeman's Lantern. That that would just set off my table just perfectly. Well, then, sorry. I mean, I'll put it up for sale anyway, but I'll I'll direct Kenji to the video and say, Hey, you know, if you want this, you better get your name in there. And uh, the same for Daniel. I've got a Morse code key from my father. I've got, there's a lot of stuff. There's some valuable family stuff. And then I go back, my mother's old magazines about the royal family, you know, the coronation of King George V or Edward VIII or something like that, you know, in good condition, uh, sitting in boxes. Oh, my God, the stuff that I've got. So this is going to be it. It's basically, it's going to be a video. It's going to be a YouTube video of me a, a, a commercial. It's basically going to be a Scarborough dude stuff commercial. That's what it's coming down to. You know, it's going to stick with the name filling in the gaps because these gaps tell a story of my life. But uh, but that's that's what it's about. It's a it's a a commercial. Uh, I'm going to ask people to actually subscribe to it, uh, and as a you know a token of good faith, just send me five dollars to my uh, my um, what you call it PayPal account. Um, and I'll give you those details later on, probably on the first show. And it's, of course, it's, you know, not going to stop you if you don't, but I, in the end, I would like it to be listeners and viewers who are uh, serious about buying into this whole idea. So it's going to be a hard sell and it's going to be an uphill battle, but, uh, I think it's worth giving it a try. I think it will be fun. Scarborough dude. So if anybody there wants to be the videographer, I mean, they should have a whole team come in. So you can show me moving around the bar and pulling out the book from the shelf and saying, well, right here we got uh, The Secret Life of Plants. The Secret Life of Plants. That was really a big one. This was about playing music here. I mean, this oh, the, I, I've got that, that whole hippies generation, the greening of America, the, the, the secret life of plants, all the stuff that came out of... Uh, the hippie movement. Uh, anyway, the list goes on. Sorry, we're over time. Scarborough Dude uh, signing off. Uh, but there you have it. So uh, feedback would be welcome. Bye for now. Eclipse is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon Meyer. We're produced by Tanita Rahmani, Lane Gerbig, and Joe Hawthorne. Allison Haney is our production assistant. Archival research by Caitlin Rathie. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael Kenyon-Meyer. 
The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Shayer, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. Special thanks to Rishi for being a pal. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at eclipsedpod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Bijan Steven on Twitter and Twitch. On Instagram, I'm Bijan Cakes. Thanks for listening.